I'm thankful for uh, the opportunity um, to share with you, but um, maybe a little bit more. I'm also or thankful for the opportunity that this forced me into thinking through a lot of things that I really needed to be thinking about um, in these last couple of weeks and months. And that is because, as um, Zach's mentioned, um, I'm part of an effort to launch a school right now in Dayton um, that's about to begin in three weeks, four weeks. And I have no idea how. But we're working on it. We're getting, getting things together. It's going forward. We've got about 14 students now. Um, I have a background in teaching. I, for four years, taught third grade. Um, and I jumped back to third grade because as I was assessing my own education, I kind of figured that's really where I needed to pick up <laughs> with what I had missed from before. So I did that for four years. And then I taught um, middle school, logic, and then um, in the last stint over at Mars Hill, taught um, rhetoric and their research project and their senior thesis, which is a, a great, great thing. Um, so that's, that's my experience. And as we're at the... the the beginning of this this new project, um, I thought it was important for for me in particular to kind of think through theologically, biblically, um, what what are we doing? What are we trying to accomplish? How do these overall principles um, work their way into the things that we teach? The way that we we teach these things, um, and so what what you'll hear tonight is is my effort, and it's an effort in progress. But my effort to, to pull all of these things together and, um, and to ensure for, for us as we're starting the school, and I also just talk with someone who's uh, got their eye on a similar project that we can think through, how do we, how do we approach these questions? How do we go about these things? Um, I would not expect, if I were you, to hear much of anything that's novel or original um, tonight. Um, though perhaps, and I hope, maybe some of the connections between some of these matters might, might be new and put some things in a different light for you. I hope, I hope that'll be, that'll be helpful. Um, my goal isn't to answer every single question that might possibly arise about what to teach, how to teach it. Um, but my main goal, and it's really very small and simple, um, I wanna give you some biblical principles that you can use in your approach to scripture to answer these questions for yourself. Whatever approach it is you're taking to education, whatever it is you're looking for, for your kids, whatever it is you're developing, um, a method of sorts, like for analyzing what do we teach and and how do we teach it. Um, and so I'd like to invite you to kind of journey down this path together with me. So in any endeavor, whatever it is that you've undertaken, whether you're educating a child, whether you're building a boat, whether you're making a breakfast, um, one of the most important things on the front end is to know specifically what you're aiming for. What's the point? What's the end product supposed to look like? What are you striving for? It's very easy to get into a project and just do things just to do things without having a clear sense of, of where it's all heading. Um, the purposes for educating our children need to be as clear in our minds as we can get them. And in particular, I think, given the environment in which we're swimming, um, we need to be sure that we've not just uncritically adopted whatever the world is giving us as the, the reasons and the, and the mode and the, and the methods for, for educating. Um, so what are 
our goals for educating our children and how should ours be different than the world's. And if we want our goals for our children and their education to be God's goals, where do we find those? Let me, let me um, begin our, our walk down this path in a very familiar place, um, and that is um, Ephesians 6. And in particular, Ephesians 6, 4, an instruction to fathers, very well known. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Um, Why have I chosen this as a starting place for this conversation? Well, one, and this is something that's sort of buried in the translation, but um, one of the terms that's used there in what Paul's saying is this paideia, the paideia of the Lord, a Greek term which was somewhat comprehensive of the the entire environment and context of a child's education in particular. Um, This instruction that we get from, from Paul, I think, is also a good place to begin Um, because it's given in our very same redemptive context um, after the resurrection and ascension of Christ, after the completed work of Christ. A couple things to note about it. First of all, we see that it's addressed to fathers, but we know as we compare Scripture with Scripture that um, this same duty and this same activity is one that um, can and should be engaged in by the rest of the family. We have the example of of Timothy, as Paul um, commends Timothy's education that he received growing up, which seems to have been from his mother, Lois, and from his grandmother. Um, and so this, this duty that we're talking about is a duty that's imposed primarily upon the father in the leadership position in the home, but also on the other parents and even apparently to some degree on the grandparents to bring these children under the tutelage of Christ himself, to bring these children into the, the totality of the child's education. Something else we note from the Ephesians passage Um, This nurture and this admonition that uh, fathers are called to bestow upon their children, um, it's discussed in in an explicitly covenantal context. Where do we see that? Well, we see that in the immediately preceding instruction that's given to the the children. Verses 1 through 3 of 6. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. That it may go well with you and that you that you may live long in the land. Um, noting this this covenantal connection and this covenantal sort of undergirding and education. Van Til- I was told I got extra points the number of times I uh, quoted Van Til. So here's my first one. Start keeping track. Um, he says, direct commandments of God with respect to education are really no more than explications of the covenant idea. Now let me, let me flesh that out a little bit. Um, you see, and, and it's appeal to the promises and the duties toward God. The promises of God and the duties toward God and this passage, Ephesians 6, as he's addressing his children. Um, Paul brings to the forefront of a covenant child's education what? This is the point tonight. The keeping of God's commandments. Okay, That's the tool that I want, I want us to use to see how we can use to answer a lot of the questions we're going to have about education, about what to teach, about how to teach it, about why to, why to teach it. Try to follow me on this. I hope it makes sense. Um, Of course, this this is nothing new. This whole idea, this focus on the training of our children being primarily for the purpose of training them to be covenant keepers. It's nothing new. If we look back into a different redemptive context, back Deuteronomy 6, 
Um, Deuteronomy 6.6, 6, another very well-known passage. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. The law that he's just delivered. And shall talk of them when you sit in the house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. This same connection between child training and the covenant and the commandments of God we see evident even prior to the covenant made with Israel at Sinai. If we look to the Abrahamic covenant, we see the, the covenant and the children's relationship and placing that covenant being described in very similar terms. Genesis 18, 19. This is as the Lord is, is on the cusp of sending the messengers down to destroy Sodom. He's standing there with Abraham. And the question that precedes this is, hey, should I tell Abraham what I'm about to do? And this is the reason behind this question. For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Uh, Louis Burkhoff, um, in his essay, Our Attitude Toward the Christian School. I don't know if I get the same amount of points for Burkhoff, but I think it's worth it. This is what he says in connection with this passage. He says, The word of God also indicates very explicitly that the education which the parents are duty-bound to provide for their children must be fundamentally religious. In fact, and referring to this verse, he says, its emphasis is so exclusively on religious training that it almost seems as if it regarded this as the whole of education. That's what Burkhoff said of this passage. Okay, jumping to another passage. Um, the ideas expressed in these few passages, I think, are sufficient to bring um, another passage into our view for our consideration on the same question. What are we doing with our kids? What are we aiming for? What's the foundation of this? And that is uh, the Great Commission, Matthew 28, verse 18, where it begins. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, consider the, the number of things that are present in this passage that are also present in the other passages that we just looked at. Um, many of the same ideas expressed of children in Ephesians 6, this whole nurture and admonition of the Lord, the commandments of the Lord, training them to keep them. Here they're applied more broadly to all disciples, not just children born into Christian homes, but all people who are brought into the covenant by whatever means. And I think this is a reminder that what we're really doing in educating our covenant children is this same thing. We are discipling them. And so consider our children, first of all, as objects of the Great Commission. Targets, we could say, of the Great Commission and what we're doing in educating them. To be discipled is to be evangelized, is to be baptized, and is to be taught. And to be brought up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord is the, is the, same, the same thing. But I want you to look also again at something else that's in the Great Commission. The Great Commission, the specific thing that the disciples are to be taught. They are to be taught, Jesus says, to observe everything that I commanded. So in the Great Commission as well, this theme that we see for the first time with Abraham and his children in the covenant that we see again in Deuteronomy 6, that we see later in Ephesians 6, was, was part of the, the parting instructions that, that Christ gave to the church, including what was to be done to children. Teach them to observe what I commanded. 
Now, obviously, and we can't skip over the gospel in this. The Great Commission begins with this evangelizing. It begins with the proclamation of God's work in Christ. It begins with this explanation of the covenant and of bringing people into that covenant. But it continues into a very clear focus on teach them to do what I've commanded. The same emphasis then from previous ages carries into the present. Instruction of disciples and the education of children in some sense centers in its very core upon teaching the covenant promises of God to to these children and training them to observe and keep the commands of the covenant. Uh, Pause here and just consider this this first point. Um, Okay, again, so instruction and keeping the covenant of God is so close to the center of God's educational goals, as Burkhoff said, as to sometimes appear to be the whole of it. I mean, it's really the only explicit thing that we ever see in Scripture that I can think of that God is telling us to teach the children. Every time we're talking about training children, teaching children, this is always the content of it. Does that mean that there isn't, is it more to this? Well, let's let's consider that question. But before we do, ask yourself honestly, and I'll tell you that my honest answer would have been no to this question a few weeks ago, and that is this. As we think about and conceive the overall goals and focal points of our children's education, is the instruction in keeping God's commandments as close to the center in your understanding and your view as it seems to be in every passage that we look at in Scripture that addresses it? Again, I would have said no. What difference would it make, could it make, might it make, if, if this is moved closer to, to the center? How many of our questions, how many of um, the, the decisions that we have to make about our children's education would this help us to answer? Now, one thing I'll, I'll be emphasizing over and over again, but let me say it again here. Um, n- none of this is going to end up with a prescribed approach to everything. That This is going to leave lots and lots and lots of room for disagreement and, and different kind of approaches to lots of things. But I do think it's a useful tool and something that we can, can approach these questions with. And I think to the extent that we do that, we'll end up in, in closer and closer places. But, okay, an objection. Someone might say uh, to what has been said so far. Okay, All right, you're, you're, you're telling me that Scripture's focus is almost exclusively religious, covenantal, and commandment-centered. But, I mean, think of all the things that we teach in school. Think of all the things that we feel like our kids need to know. Are you saying that those are unnecessary and that the teaching the commandments of God and specifically the commandments of God, that's, that's really all, all we need. Now, there have been some people historically, there have been movements that have taken something like that approach, the more pietistic approach which says the only thing we need to know is the scripture. The only thing we need to study is the commands of God. All the rest of the things that might be studied in school are, are wastes of our time and we should just focus on the commands of God. Um, I think that that pietistic response is is a very, very big mistake. And I think that we can see how big of a mistake that is by looking at the content of the commandments themselves. What do I mean by that? Well, what I what I think is, as we consider these, and I'm, I'm hoping in the second talk to kind of walk through and at least show you how we can think about this as well. Um, 
I believe that the commandments themselves, the commandments of God themselves, contain the answer to the objection of the person that's saying there are other things we need to know, and also contain the refutation of the pietistic rejection of all other kinds of learning. That is, the commandments, I believe, by their very nature, they warrant and necessitate additional learning outside of the commandments themselves. And, I think to a certain degree, tell us certain things that's very important for our children to know and to know well. And, additionally, I think that a focus on the commandments of God also give us insight into how and why we go about teaching these things. My main contention, my main point tonight, the covenant commandments of God will properly focus our educational endeavors in just about every way. Let me see if I can help you see what I mean. Let's begin, first of all, with a consideration of the commandments in question. Well, which, which commandments? I mean, there's lots and lots of scripture. Um, even if we just limit ourselves to the Great Commission and Christ's comment, teach them to observe all the things that I commanded you. We've got a lot to work with. How do we, how do we think about these things? If only there were some way to distill and to, and to summarize Christ's commandments for our easier contemplation. Uh, but of course there is, and this is exactly what he's done for us, right? Um, a question that was posed to him by one of the rulers in Matthew 22. One of them, a lawyer. Ah, Got to watch the lawyers. <laughs> Asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. One thing to which I want to call your attention right off the bat with these commandments that Jesus used to summarize the whole body of God's law, all of God's covenantal commandments can be wrapped up and hung on these two pegs, he says. The first is what these two commandments have in common, which is their emphasis upon love. Now, if we're familiar with the New Testament, this shouldn't be a surprise to us. Paul elsewhere says that love is essentially the keeping of the law, the fulfillment of the law. So, these two things are related in our minds already. God's commandments and love. Love for God and love for our neighbor. But, if, if the education of our covenant children is first gospel and then covenantally and command focused, then what else do these commands represent? They also represent the essence of what we need to be teaching our children to do. And perhaps this is a second question which I can ask you, which I can answer in the negative, is if someone says to you, um, what are you trying to do with educating your children? How quickly do you get to, I'm trying to teach them to love God and love their neighbor. It would have taken me quite a while to get there. But if what we're trying to train them to do is keep the commandments of God, and this is the essence of the commandments of God, this is the summary of the commandments of God, then this should be at the center of the way we think about what we're doing for our children. We are training them to love God and we are training them to love their neighbor. The centrality of love to these commandments and to consequently then to our approach to education is important for a couple of other reasons. If we look at 1 Corinthians 13, the, the love chapter, um, what, what do we see in that chapter 
in connection with what we've just said? Well, one is that, okay, how important is this idea of love to the things that we're teaching our children? Well, Paul says, you can teach them everything. They can know all mysteries. They can know everything. And if they don't have love, you might as well have not done it. Okay? Keep this in the center because it is in the center. And without it, nothing that we do educationally, Paul says, is worth anything. This is what this program is driving at teaching our kids to love God love God with all of their strength and all of their heart and all of their soul and all of their mind and loving their neighbor as themselves by the way just in the the terms of the commandment itself especially as it's um, spoken by Christ in the in the um, in the gospels um, there's a sense in which the commands themselves combat this idea of anti-intellectualism because the first commandment is something we're to be doing not just with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our strength, but with our mind as well. And not just part of our mind, but all of our minds. So maybe there's a tendency, maybe there has historically been a tendency to put love over here and our minds and our thinking and logic and these things over here. But loving God and loving our neighbor is not exclusively, but necessarily an intellectual exercise. It requires us to think. It requires our minds to be trained. So right away, we see that we're not veering away from things that we need to know and ways that we need to use our mind. But even as we're steering into these commandments, we're seeing that there's this additional incentive. Think, train, learn how to think because that's required for fulfilling this commandment. Okay. Love is an act that requires the working of the mind, and to that end we must seek to train and equip the mind. Um, the focus upon love as an aspect of education, again, maybe this is a new thing for you to consider. I know that it was for me. Okay, but I do want to see how this, along with all the commandments of God, is helpful in sorting out a good deal of the rest of the questions that we have about what to teach and how to teach. But, again, how? How does a focus on love help us in the education of our children? How does that direct us toward particular studies? And what connection can anything that I just said have to the, the things that are more traditionally considered school subjects? Okay. Before, though, another foundation another foundational and summary commandment to include in our considerations. Christ gave us the whole summary. He said, with loving God, with everything that you have, including your mind, and loving your neighbor as yourself. There's a couple more that I want us to consider and to include in this, in this um, basically this target for which we're aiming. One, this next one comes from Genesis 1. God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. What we call the creation mandate. Of what does this mandate consist? What does it involve? This is the instruction to mankind to be God's vice regents in creation, ruling along with God. Um, fructifying creation, making it more... Um, more fruitful, subduing it, causing order and causing life to flourish in it, to steward 
creation, to bring creation to its perfected ends. Now what justification would I offer for including this commandment along with the greatest and the second in a consideration of how we educate our kids? Well, one is just its primacy in time. It's the first commandment to mankind we ever read in Scripture. The other, I would say, would be its, its fundamental application to all of humanity from the very beginning. Our, our children are disciples. Our children, incidentally, are also humans. And uh, so a duty and a command that's fundamental to their humanity, I think, should, is something else that should be considered and what we're trying to train them to do. But a question, a huge question, a question I'm not going to try to tackle, especially with seven minutes left. You know, Christ came and fulfilled the creation mandate, right? And um, is this still something valid for for us to be thinking of ourselves as, as having to do? Very quickly, let me just answer that. Again, I think if we look at the creation mandate as being the uh, the original, the the paradigmatic command to man about what man is supposed. To, this is almost this is very close to what, the definition of what it means to be human. These are the things that humans do. Um, we also see, even after the fall, we see with Noah, we see essentially the mandate repeated um, to Noah, indicating that the fall didn't affect it. Well, what about Christ's fulfillment of it? Um, you may have heard the argument some you know, at some time that because Christ is the one who will bring everything into subjection, because Christ is the one who has begun and will one day finish this process of subduing everything, this is not something that we consider ourselves part of. Uh, just as an analog to that, I would say, think about the doctrine of sanctification, our final sanctification in uh, 1 John. You know, when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. No question that that work is completed by Christ. But we don't say, consequently, why do I have to strive for holiness now? Christ is going to do it. So I would say just the, the theology of Christ's involvement in completing and fulfilling the creation mandate, I don't think that that says anything about whether this still applies to us. I think it's pretty clear that it does. Um, even after the victory of Christ, we can see as we look at the New Testament, um, Scripture continues to bear witness to the great importance of what? The work that we do, our marriage, our families, our child ring, all those sorts of things that would fit into that, that category of the creation mandate. Christ will fulfill all of these, but we continue to work. And again, I think the creation mandate should be included and considered here because it is what it means to be human. Still a basic part of our duty and function as humans. So, so far, loving God, loving neighbor, exercising dominion over the rest of creation. Anything else? There's one more that I would add. And it's related to the previous. It's related to the, the um, creation mandate, but and it's one we've already mentioned. I would bring us back again to the Great Commission. Um, again, what is the nature of this commission? Well, I would say arguably this is the one of the fullest expressions of all of the rest of the commandments that we've looked at. Um, loving God by proclaiming His glory. Loving our neighbor by proclaiming to Him the word of life. Fulfilling our creation mandate by serving as instruments in Christ's hands for the renewal and for the subjugation of, of all things. Sort of an extension of the creation mandate. All things, all people under the dominion and authority of Christ. Well, why include the Great Commission in this discussion as the fundamental foundational commands we're considering to help us understand how to educate our children? Well, previously we talked about children as being objects of the Great Commission, targets of the Great Commission. 
But we also have to remember that our children, as we're bringing them up in their covenant responsibility, one of the things that we're training them to be is agents in the Great Commission as well, as actors in its fulfillment. And so we have, and these four, I think a, a good sample. We have the first instruction, the creation mandate, um, and we have this last one, the um, Great Commission, that almost seems to serve as a, a bookend. And then considering what's before, we also have the command that Christ himself said it was the most important, loving God, and the one he said was second, loving neighbor. So, obviously, lots more commandments than this. I think this is a good beginning summary. Um, and so, I think this is the summary that it's useful for us to consider as we're undertaking and planning the education of our children or any other kind of educational endeavor that we might be whipping up. We are training our children as disciples, teaching them as disciples of Christ to love God, to love their neighbors, to exercise dominion over creation, and to work toward the fulfillment of the Great Commission. And that, I believe, is where we should start as we consider in more detail what their education should look like. All the education we undertake for them, I believe, needs to be focused and driven toward these purposes, these commandments. These tell us why our children are to be studying. These will be telling us what they should be studying, I'll argue. And they'll also be telling us how we should go about studying these things. And that's what we'll be looking at in closer detail in my second talk.